Mac Power Users, episode 378. More iOS unused and hidden features. Welcome back to the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside our pal David Sparks. Hey, Sparky, how are you? Great, Katie. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, we promised that we would do another show on iOS hidden features, and I kind of hate to say that because that's kind of clickbaity, but maybe maybe underused or underappreciated features of iOS. And the last time we did this was episode 361, so it hasn't been that long, but it, it's been about six months or so. And our good pal Clayton Morris joined us for that show and promised us that he would come back. And true to his word, back with us is Clayton Morris. Welcome back to the show, Clayton. Hey, guys, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I think even like power users sometimes don't even know half of these like hidden features. So it's great to be able to we had so many on the list last time that we didn't even get to all of them. Yeah, we got like a third of the way through the list. And the funny thing is I've been adding Katie's been adding. I think Clayton's added some stuff in there. Now the list has grown again. So, right. <laughs> right. And, and we are very aware of the calendar that uh, WWDC is quickly approaching. So we were like, guys, we, we, we got to record this show before we get a whole new version of iOS and everything goes out the window. So, um, yeah, we, we figured we'd cover this now while we still have iOS 10. And then we'll, we'll probably have a whole nother show to do after the next iteration of iOS, whatever that may be called, come comes out. So Yeah, but I don't think this stuff will go out the window. The, generally what Apple does is they add on, they add on additional features. They don't take away features. So I think the stuff you're going to get today is going to work whether you're listening to it in 2017 or 2019. But the um, but you're right. I do hope that, that we get a ton more content at WWDC in a couple months and then that if it follows history, it will release sometime in September and we'll have a bunch of uh, additional new tips because uh, I think half the game, everybody, everybody talks about on iOS how it's harder than a Mac. It takes more taps and more time. And I think half the game is learning about these hidden features because a lot of the stuff is there for you, but it, you have to discover it. Right. And so that was kind of the idea behind the show is, you know, if if we dig under the surface a little bit, what, what are some of the more underutilized features? How can you make the most of of iOS? Because even though we are the Mac power users, we iOS is a big part of our lives. So we, we figured we'd, we'd kind of hit a few features that you may not more know so much about and then maybe teach you how to use some of the features that you're using a, a little bit better. I'm thinking about doing something really scary, guys. Um, I'm going to San Jose for a week. Uh to the uh, WWC, I'm thinking about just bring my iPad. I think I'm going to go there. Do it. Do it. Katie's super nervous because we record a show while I'm there, but I'm rooming with Stephen Hackett, who will have uh, an entire recording studio, I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so you'll be okay, Katie. I'll have... Yeah, the only the only reason you can do it is because you're rooming with the Mac guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could, I could like, bring the Zoom and do something interesting. But but either way, I um, the, the scary thing for me is the legal stuff. It, what if something comes up and I, I need access? But I've been trying uh, lately to, uh, to to find all those breakable parts and unbreak them. Uh, screen, screens is my kind of ace in the hole um, where I can just virtually put my iMac on the iPad, which works okay with the big iPad. Um, but anyway, that's kind of beside the point, but it is a, it is a, a data point. I'm willing to go for a week uh, with no Mac. Well, and and I guess recording podcasts is really, I mean, because you could talk on Skype just on your, on your iPhone. I think I, I remember you doing an episode like that before. So you could just to calibrate and then use, there's so many great mics 
that you could just use on your iPad to record, even just using like just press record, a great app or, you know, and have that separate file and upload it to Dropbox and you got two separate files, you know, and you're, you're golden. And maybe who knows right after WWDC, I know you go crazy with the betas. Maybe you'll, uh, maybe there'll be a, a, some separate dual audio channel that we can actually work with for on iOS, which I can't wait for. What is it with me and betas? How come I can't just let them go and not install them? I'm the same way. Every iOS one or every first beta, I always install it. And uh, my wife always gives me the, the skunk eye, stink eye, skunk eye, <laughs> whatever. She gives me an ugly eye because she knows that it's going to be annoying and she's just going to hear me complaining about it. Yeah, I don't know. I, every year I say, this is the year I'm not going to install the beta. And every year, I don't know, Apple, I think they're good at, at bringing me in because they, they tell me some new feature I want. In fact, a couple features we'll probably talk about today that I want. And they'll say, oh, yeah, now we fixed that thing. And I'm going to say, oh, I want that so badly that I'm willing to put up with no end of nonsense to use a broken, half-baked version of it in the beta. <laughs> well, the hard thing is if you do, like, I the big ones, the big releases, like, the I, you know, that's the mistake, I think, because you got to wait till like, beta 5 or beta 4 before you can really say, okay, this is pretty stable. But these, I, I don't know, these sort of incremental updates – like last year was actually pretty smooth. I didn't have any big issues on beta one. Did you? No, it was actually very smooth. I mean, yeah. the things that were broken never got fixed with like file picking and some of the things that, that I complain about routinely here. But but generally, the beta was pretty good. Well, my prediction will be that David will continue to install the beta. In fact, I think it's entirely possible that the beta will either be installing or be installed by the time that we record the WWDC podcast. Um, and I predict that I will not. <laughs> well, well, that's one of the advantages of having two iPads. I could just install it on one of them. See, I'm already making justifications, guys. This is bad. <laughs> Looks bad. So, but but just just to be clear, we do not recommend that listeners to the show install the betas, right? No, that's what that's what crazy people do. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Just just so we're clear, we do not recommend, especially if you do use your iPad for, you know, work and work related things. If you make money with your iPads or, you know, if you just kind of generally want them to work. And I really don't suggest that you install it on your phone because, you know, you might not actually you might actually like need to call somebody. But I may just wait for the public betas this year and just do that. No, we won't. <laughs> Who are you kidding? <laughs> Well, we've we've gone off the rails already. Let me see if I can yeah, <laughs> I can rein you in again because we are supposed to talk about iOS tips and tricks. Um, but but hey, let me let me give you one for when you do install the beta, David, uh, or anybody else who's out there crazy enough to do it. Did you know that you can back up your iOS devices? And I strongly suggest you do. You should both back up your iOS devices to iCloud um, using iCloud. But that's not going to do you a whole lot of good if you decide to install the beta. What you need to do is you need to back up your iOS device to your Mac. And you can do that using iTunes. You just plug it in with a cord. And I know that sounds so antiquated, but you plug it in with a cable and you can back up your iOS device to iTunes. And then what you go is you go into iTunes and you go into that area where it shows you, I think it's an iTunes and preferences, and it will show you your device backups. And if you hit the option key, you can actually archive your device backups. So before you go crazy, and, and maybe you should do this before the keynote starts, because I know you just can't help yourself. Um, what you can do is you can archive that iOS backup. So if you end up having to wipe everything and revert to that to that pre-beta state, that you, you'll have that archived backup that you can revert to. That's a that's a good idea. It's a good idea to have a 
know, the belt and suspenders methodology here is have the iCloud backup, but just have a backup on your computer anyway. And I know it's crazy to plug your device into your Mac like an animal, but uh, set an OmniFocus task every four months or something and just do it. And you may need it. You may never need it. I don't think I've ever really needed it, but uh, it is a nice uh, is a nice idea to have it there. Well, and especially because if you're restoring from a beta, you're not going to be able to restore from that iCloud backup, I don't think. Clayton, when you uh, get a new device, do you uh, restore from backup or do you just like uh, go from, you know, square zero and build it up? You know, a lot of times I like to go from square zero, but I think because of the watch over the past two years and the activity data, that that's been my biggest hang up is doing the like the total nuke and pave then you lose that data. Um, and that's been my biggest hangup. And I wish they, you know, because they don't encrypt that in iCloud, so you can't get access to that. So you want, like, to look back at your all of your activity rings, you know, and see them all. And then it looks like you haven't worked out for a year and a half because it just pops up one day when you get your new device. But most of the time, uh, I'll, I'll just do uh, a full, you know, restore and just put it back on there because they've gotten really good about, I don't have any of the hangups and problems um, that maybe we used to have back in the day with doing it that way, where things would hang. It seems like it would get bogged down. Um, half the apps would load. It just wouldn't. I think I've gotten a lot better about that, but I still, I still think they have some big areas uh, for improvement for backing up, uh, restoring a device. I hope, I hope that's one big thing that we see addressed um, at WWDC. Yeah, I would say that argue that the pendulum is definitely swinging towards restoring from backup now, though, because they have solved a lot of the problems. And you're right, there's a lot of data. It's not only just the health data; it's all of your, you know, your settings and you know, your, you know, the, even just the back screen backgrounds. Um, I've got all these workflow recipes I've developed. I mean, all this stuff. I don't want to have to do any of that stuff from the beginning again. It, it's funny because it used to be with an iPhone, you didn't care about that because there wasn't really that many customizations. But as the phones have got more complex, it's becoming like a Mac. Setting up a new Mac is a big pain. Like you lose all your scripts and everything like that. So uh, the the phone and the iPad are heading that way too, which is interesting. Yeah, and all the little fiddly settings within WatchOS. I'm very similar to Mike Hurley in my my workflow from iPhone to watch and triaging emails and to go back and do all that from scratch. Oh, no way. So since you bring up your health data, I'm now going to give you another, and since this is the iOS tip show, I'm going to give you another tip because there is a way that you can back up and re-import your health data. There's actually two ways that you can do that. Um, one is if you make an encrypted backup of your iPhone using iTunes, um, that will preserve some of your health data. But another way you can do it is there are third-party apps that you can use. And there's there's one um, that I'll link to, an iMore article that talks about it, called the Health Data Importer. It's available for a couple of bucks on the App Store that will import your health data. And then you can use that to, once you import it, to export it back once uh, you've got your new device installed. Ah, have you tried that, Katie? I have not, but iMore says it works, so we'll see. Yeah, that that would be interesting because the the encrypted backup, I guess we should have mentioned that earlier. If you're backing up your device with the copper wire and you click encrypted backup, which I would recommend you do if you're backing up your device to your Mac, um, not only does that give you an encrypted backup so someone doesn't get access to all your data if they grab those files, um, when you restore your phone, that's one of the only ways you can restore your phone and have all the passwords come back in too. Uh, if you, you know, if you restore a phone over the air, you're going to have to go dig up all your email passwords and the other nonsense. So uh, that's kind of nice. 
Uh, the encrypted backup will back up your account passwords, health, and HomeKit data, whereas an unencrypted backup will not. So if you're going to backup by wire, which I suggest you do every now and then, there's really no reason not to do the encrypted backup. So guys, we still haven't got to our first point. You think we should start now? <laughs> Let's giddy up. <laughs> I've been ready to start for a while, but you guys keep taking us off topic. That's all right. Uh, let's talk about keyboards. The uh, the software keyboard is one uh, that is very important on these devices. You know, type on a piece of glass, write on a piece of glass. Uh, I think one of the best features they added, and this is one that I still see people not using, um, and that's moving the key, the, the cursor. You know, it used to be such a pain in the neck to move the cursor where you had to stick your, your meaty finger on the screen and try and get it to just the right place. And sometimes you would get it there and sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes you'd get it there and as you lifted your finger, it would move. You guys ever had that happen? Right. All, all that stuff was terrible. Uh, now on the iPhone, you can move the cursor around the screen, just um, force press the keyboard. And while your your thumb is on, or your finger is on the keyboard and move it around and watch like how it magically moves the cursor around the screen. Oh, it's great. Uh, one of my favorite features on the phone. Yeah, and it's great on the iPad, especially for a lot of text. If you use if you use the iPad for writing, uh, it's a great way. Even with you know if you've got it attached to a hardware keyboard, you could just bring up the keyboard and be able to do that as well. So just tap the little keyboard icon, or the little chevron in the lower right hand corner. Um, to get that pulled back up and then be able to maneuver your fingers around the keyboard also. it's a yeah, And on the iPad, you don't do it with the force press. You do it with two fingers. So you just tap, put two fingers on the keyboard and move them around, and it does the same thing. Yeah, I use that all the time. It's, been, it's great for highlighting, especially within like large blocks of text, because it's so maddening when you think, when you tap your finger on the screen, you think you've got it in between the two words that you want to hit, and you you never do because we've got big sausage fingers. Another thing that's cool on the iPhone is because it's it's force press based, um, you can actually select text as well if you get it right. And uh, the trick is getting the cursor in the right place and kind of pressing a little extra and then dragging. Um, it's I think it's a skill that you have to work with a little bit the first time you do it. At least, at least the first time I did it, it didn't work very well. And now I've got to a point where I'm pretty adept at doing it. It's you know, it's like anything you got to learn the skill. Yeah, another great thing about the keyboard that I love too is um, well, using the software keyboard. And a lot of people don't know this, but if you just just hold down the little globe icon, and if you've got a bunch of different keyboards installed, I used to, and I, I forget this skill on a regular basis. I find myself cycling through like 30 different keyboards that I have. Emoji, I, I even added some Spanish keyboards just for fun, a German keyboard for fun. And then, of course, I've got some, uh, you know, the Google Google keyboard. Um, I mean, I've got a ton of them in there. And uh, just by touching, you can scroll and see a list of those keyboards that pop up. English, Emoji, I've got the Text Expander keyboard, which I use all the time for my business and back and forth and, and be able to tap that. It makes it so much easier than having to cycle through and finding those keyboards until the whole screen turns blue and you see that text expander keyboard. Let's, I want to get back to alternate keyboards because I think that's something a lot of people are missing out on. But just in general, how much are you guys typing on your iPhone and iPad? How often are you typing text in? Well, I mean, I guess pretty regularly. I'm not typing dissertations or anything like in there, but, you know, quick emails and texts and um, so daily for sure. I mean, pretty regularly. Yeah, on the, on the iPhone, but I guess I guess the question would be on the iPad, are you typing much on the, the glass? Well, not really. I, I don't, 
occasionally I would, I had a, I was frustrated recently and I, David, you and I were texting the other day about this. I, I love the, uh, the smart keyboard cover with, you know, with the keypad. I think that's what it's called, right? The smart keyboard case cover. <laughs> Can't keep track of them all. Um, that has the keyboard. It has like the little, uh, nice microfiber cover that keeps it. And I love that. I love the textured keyboard, the little fabric keyboard. Um, it's not like the new Microsoft one, which is like furry, but, uh, this one, Wait, wait, wait. It's furry? Yeah. Have you seen the new Microsoft keyboard? It's like fabric. I've seen uh, pictures. I haven't used one. There's a couple of memes rolling around online about it, too, where there's like people eating Doritos and it's like all these pieces of Doritos in it. It's gross. Like, (laughs) I don't know what you do with it. You like dry clean it? (laughs) You can't clean it with a Mr. Clean scrubbing brush. That's for sure. No, you can't. But the, the, the Apple one, you can. And so I was having problems where when I got it, I loved it last year, and it's been my favorite keyboard. I use it for to run my whole business on my iPad Pro, and it was progressively not working. You know, I would get that accessory not compatible alert that would pop up. I'm like, well, I know that Apple makes this keyboard, so I'm sure it's compatible. But it was <laughs> yeah, that's a bad sign, <laughs> right? And it was just like deteriorating, and like literally one or two, you know, two out of every time, ten times I would use it, I would actually get to be able to type on it. It just was not connecting well. I would look at you know the smart connector, and it seemed like it was working fine. I, I didn't understand it. Firmware upgrades, great. I would reboot it. I would unseat it. I would take it off and back on. wasn't working. So I took it to the Apple store and a guy who was a, a, an electrical engineer in his, his other job said, you know, it really is like fiber optics. The way that the smart keyboard case works is that obviously it's not Bluetooth and that if there's any obstruction, um, even like a little bit of cruft there, even imperceptible that you can't see, it will not work and it will not connect. And so he just got out a simple alcohol wipe and wiped down the smart connector wiped down the little seat where it sits above the keyboard, the number keys, and then also wiped down the the little, the three-pronged area of the case, and like a little sort of like blackness came off, uh, and it was clean, and now I've not had one problem since he cleaned it. Um, so that's all it was. <laughs> it was just a little dust or debris. That's interesting. I'm just testing mine right now, if you heard the snap. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I have um, occasionally my smart keyboard as well stops working, and it happens to me about once a month, maybe, and I just unseat it and reseat it. Maybe I need to clean mine as well. It's good to know. Well, that's what was happening to me. It was it was like it started with like once a month, and then it started, you know, a lot more than that. And then it got to the point where I couldn't use it anymore. So to answer your question, I would just get so frustrated because I'm in the middle of an email, and I pull it off and just have to use the glass, the software keyboard, um, and it's frustrating. So I'm glad that he solved it, but it just took a little alcohol wipe. And he said to do it once a week. Because it's it's imperceptible, usually, what the, the dust and the stuff that gets on there. So just clean it once a week. Now, there is actually um, some known issues with the iPad Smart Keyboard, both for the 9.0-inch and the 12.9-inch, uh, that Apple has actually um, extended the warranty on them. So they've offered an extended three-year repair program for all smart keyboards. I guess we shouldn't say all of them because we don't know what comes out, but the ones that came out in early 2016 and the ones that came out in late 2015 with the original iPad Pros. Um, So if you're having experience with sticking or repeating keys or sensor issues or problems with the magnetic connector or other connective issues or unresponsive keys, um, those may be covered by the extended repair program. 
I mean, I think for just simplicity's sake, it might be worth it trying the alcohol wipe first, especially since uh, there's a three-year extended repair program for this. But um, if you're having continued issues, you, you may want to check this out. Even if you didn't get Apple Care, it, it seems to apply. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by Daylight, the business productivity app for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. If you've ever run your own business, you know how hard it is to secure new business while juggling the work on your plate. You've probably got an overloaded inbox and a never-ending task list and a million details to remember. In fact, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed and things start slipping through the cracks. That's where Daylight helps. Daylight is the app for your Mac, iPhone, and iPad that helps you win more business and get more done. It organizes and ties together your clients and emails. It allows you to manage your tasks and projects. You can even keep notes on each one of your clients and projects. Best of all, you can manage new business opportunities all in the single application. Businesses all over the world say Daylight helps them work more efficiently so they can manage more clients and projects at a time. I know this because I keep hearing from Mac Power Users listeners that are getting real serious work done using Daylight every day. I've heard from some listeners that use Daylight to manage cases and keep track of referrals in a law firm. I've also heard from Design Studio listeners who use Daylight to organize communications with clients and share their projects, tasks, and details. With Daylight, you don't have to worry about your data because it's stored locally on your Mac, iPhone, and iPad. They also have a cloud service if you want to do that. I think one of the best parts about Daylight is just the solid foundation this app is built upon. The team at Market Circle has been working on Daylight for years. They have a complete understanding of this kind of product. And while they've got all that history, they also continue to evolve. They are routinely adding features to the Mac, iPad, and iPhone version to make the application even better. Make your business more profitable and efficient today. Head over to marketcircle.com slash daylight, spelled D-A-Y-L-I-T-E, to start a free 30-day trial. And don't forget to mention you heard about Daylight through the Mac Power users, and you'll get 50% off your first month subscription. My thanks again to Daylight for bringing you the Mac Power users. So we've talked about um, kind of software keyboards and kind of hardware keyboards with uh, with the iPads, but Apple has put a lot of features, particularly in iOS 10, um, pertaining to hardware keyboards. So if you do use a hardware keyboard with iOS, Apple has built in a lot of commands and functions, particularly for you. Um, you know, so if you're a big fan of keyboard shortcuts, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be, that a lot of them are going to work on iOS. Yeah, I um, I've been using Airmail again. I'm always testing out these different email applications, and one of the best things that application does is it has a ton of of keyboard shortcut support. And all you have to do is hold down the command key. Any application on your iPad, if you've got an external keyboard attached, press and hold command key, and the screen will light up with all the available commands for whatever screen you're in. It even works in the home screen. And uh, that makes it very easy to incorporate these keyboard shortcuts, and it really shows off where they fail. And because once you start using them, uh, you get annoyed whenever you have to lift your hands off the screen to touch the glass. Right. Airmail is my go-to Swiss Army knife of email clients for the iPad. I use it every day. Uh, and you're right, just holding down command, I mean, you get so many great 
you know, uh, just holding command return. You're able to do, you know, dismissing, taking triage and going through really quick in your emails, indenting, which is great. And I use a lot of bulleted lists. So just to be able to hit uh, command P and, and it pops up a bulleted list inside of airmail, um, some great stuff. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, each app has a different menu that you're able to see what it can do under the hood. Yeah, the, the airmail is a little bit broken if you want to do inline replies. Uh, you just have to, if you hit return, it'll keep it at the same level as the source message. But if you outdent it, uh, it'll fix itself eventually. I think that's something they need to work on. But all that is accomplishable. All that can be accomplished with keyboard shortcuts. Um, what about alternative keyboards? We we kind of mentioned about that earlier. That's a feature that got a lot of press and discussion when it first was announced. And I don't hear anybody really talking about it anymore. So if you go into your settings for your keyboards, you can actually install third-party keyboards. And this is something people wanted on iOS for a long time. Uh, there was a, an initial flurry of keyboards out there. I guess, Clayton, you've got every language now. You have Latin. You have a Latin <laughs> no. one. No, but I like to impress my wife, who is uh, can speak fluent Spanish. And so occasionally I'll... I'll you know, I'll type out some stuff on the on the Spanish keyboard. But uh, just looking through mine, I've got yeah English emoji, Gboard, Text Expander, uh, Deutsch, Espanol, and I've got a few others in there as well. Just some different fun ones. But um, yeah, people don't. I don't know why. I think because I think maybe maybe people soured to them initially because they were really clunky and kind of difficult to set up. And it's worth noting like how to take people through that within the keyboard setting in, in when you go into settings to go into general and then into the, um, into the keyboard. And then you have to enable by adding, add those extra keyboards if they're available. And then you have to even give it a, another level of, of access, which I think frustrated a lot of people. And especially in the beginning when the keyboards just weren't that good, maybe people just gave up. And the dialogue is ominous. Like, do you want to give it access to everything? <laughs> Essentially says something like that. So people aren't sure exactly what are we giving access to with this keyboard. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder if Apple didn't make it difficult on purpose. That, like, they really just want you to use their keyboard. But everybody was whining about having third-party keyboards. So they said, here they are. Good luck finding them. Um, but but the, but it settled a lot. The uh uh, there's a couple I, I like. The Google keyboard, I think, is very good. I've actually uninstalled it, but I was using it for a while. I think, you know, the, the thing the Apple keyboard has, the Trump everything, is the little Siri button, which is so useful. Um, the dictation button, not the Siri button. Yeah, okay. Siri dictation, I think, is the official term. You should maybe give Gboard another try, because my frustration with it was it didn't have the dictation button. Um, Gboard has now added that to the space bar. Um, so in Gboard, the keyboard, you just tap the little space bar and now you can get dictation in there. And it, is that Google dictation or Siri dictation? It's, well, that's a good question. I believe it is Siri. Yeah, it's Siri dictation. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It's, it's, um, no, it, it, it sends it out to Google and you know, it's, I, Oh, how fun. We yeah. Could compare. It'd be, I was going to say, we should try to compare this because. I've found, but it's very fast where with, with Siri dictation, um, you know, you get a certain amount of time, um, yes, right. That's it's one of my like problems with Siri 15 dictation. seconds or something like that with, with this one, it's very fast. It's even faster. So like the moment you stop talking and I, I have this, I, I'm dumb like this. Like I know that I want to use it, but then I don't compose my thoughts well enough before I use it. So I start using it and 
and like it gets frustrated and shuts itself down and then i relaunch and uh, you know so I, maybe i should just train myself okay clayton before you say what you're going to say just why don't you hash it out in your head and then press the button <laughs> yeah it needs to be a complete sentence before you start speaking and that's that works not only does that make it easier to have the audio not cut off that also makes for better education because it has more context it does a better job that way but um, I, I've always um, liked uh, Google's voice recognition um, algorithms. I think they do a good job of it. So I, I'd be super interested to see if I could routinely do that on the I, I, iPad and iPhone and see how they compare to Siri. Um, the one uh, keyboard that I really like and I, use, I still use all the time, I wrote about it at Max Sparky a long time ago, is MyScript Stylus. And this is one I use on the iPad. And if you've got an iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil, I recommend getting this one. I think it was free. If it wasn't free, it was just a few dollars. And it is a handwriting um, um, keyboard. So it basically puts the line across the bottom, kind of like, you know, the old, you know, you know, what you used to do with a, a Palm Pilot or, you know, with any of the various original, you know, handwriting recognition technologies. Um, and so you just write across the screen with your hand and, and the pencil, and it puts text in the screen. It's not always faster, but sometimes I get some enjoyment out of doing that. Have either one of you guys used that stuff? No, I've got to try that. Yeah, I've used it. It never really stuck with me because, honestly, the stylus hasn't stuck with me, but we'll see. Yeah, you're not a pencil fan. I'm not a pencil fan, but it, it worked. It seemed to work well. The, um, uh, the, the biggest problem with that app originally was it, the way they had the sensitivity for, and the and button placement along the bottom, it made it easy to actually hit, um, some of the, you know, the command buttons or the globe button while you were writing. And then that was a huge interruption and it just ruined the whole purpose of it, but th they've got better at that. I don't know if it's rejecting some of that now better, but it does not nearly uh, give you as many troubles as it did when it first came out. Another thing with the keyboard that we should mention too, and a lot of people, I didn't realize this at first until I started using, especially on the uh, with the new 3D Touch, but just a light press on any of the letters uh, will get you all sort of variants of those letters, whether it's a, a U with an umlaut above it uh, or you know different accents on those letters. Um, and I would always be so curious how are how are people adding that little accent to that U as they're as they're typing um, just by a little slight tap. Not a not a force press. I, I get all those confused. What is it? Just like a little light tap? Like if you were going to delete an app, it's that level of that level of pushing where it gets it. You just you just hold it for a minute. Yeah, you're not pushing down. You're just kind of lightly pushing your finger on the glass a little bit to get those highlights. It's a very subtle difference, and then for people who are not interested in this stuff that much, it's a uh, it's a it's a problem. I think they've got to they've got to sort that out a little bit more. Hopefully, we'll hear more about that in June. Um, the, there's also a whole different category of keyboards that are, um, are giving you forms of data. Like I use an app called copied, which is my clipboard manager. And I can have a keyboard through that that shows me my most recent copied clipboard snippets, which can be really useful. If you, if you're copying six or seven snippets, you actually have a keyboard that displays them and you can just go through and selectively tap the ones you want and it drops it wherever you're at. That's a, a cool trick. Um, text expander does that with a snippet keyboard that they have now. Um, there's also a bunch of them that have, um, like GIF images and things like that, but those largely got replaced with the, the new search for, uh, for GIFs and animated objects 
uh, that that exist within you know, iOS 10. What percentage of the time do you guys think you're using alternative keyboards as opposed to the built-in iOS keyboard? I'll, I'll tell you personally, I don't keep many of these installed. The only one I use is the text expander keyboard and occasionally, very, very rarely, the emoji keyboard that I'll flip back and forth through. But um, I, I would still tell you that 90 plus percent of the time that I'm doing something, it's it's in the standard, I, I would say actually even higher, 95 plus percent of the time, I'm I'm in the regular iOS app keyboard. Yeah, a large uh, percentage for me is also in the iOS keyboard. I'd say probably 85%. I'm using emoji more now. I'm even using them to reply to email and stuff. I think they're becoming socially acceptable. Uh, and I, um, I, but, you know, I, the MyScript stylus thing I've been using increasingly lately, like I use that often when I'm working through my OmniFocus list, just to handwrite, you know, a new task in or, or small entries, it's fine. But I don't, you know, the the, the, the built-in keyboard is, is the, by a large part, the the most used keyboard for me. How about you, Clayton? Yeah, I use uh, I I flip a uh, yeah. I would say uh, the iOS keyboard definitely is number one for me, without a doubt. Um, I do find myself switching over to the Gboard one occasionally, um, and maybe it's I, I wish I would have started with that. What is it? The Swift style uh, with your you know swinging your fingers around all of the different letters. Yeah, the swiping actually, between the letters. Yeah. So I like that with the Gboard functionality sometimes, and I, I think that I know that people say it's it's more efficient, and I kind of want to force myself in that direction, I guess. Um, but I do use the Text Expander keyboard a lot uh, for my company, and um, so whether it's just uh, like a signature that I need to put out uh, that has you know like legal dis- disclaimers at the bottom, that sort of stuff. Um, depending on the email, I can just quickly switch over to the text expander uh, keyboard and do that. Or if someone, one of our clients needs info um, about a particular way in which to, you know, set up an LLC or whatever it is, I, can, I have a, you know, I have a snippet just using the X, you know, X LLC and just able to tap that out and has the whole description pops right up. And I'm constantly triaging my email on my phone. So it would kill me to have an email where someone was asking about that simple instruction. And I just had to wait till I got back to my computer to do it later. So to be able to have that text expander keyboard for those things, those common questions is just killer. Yeah, that would be great fodder for our feedback show. If you've got a third party keyboard that you really love, let us know. We'll, We'll add it to the outline for the next feedback show. Yeah. One of my hopes for WWDC is that, Third-party keyboards will get a little more love. I mean, I, I love having them, but it still feels like they're a little crippled or more than a little crippled compared to iOS keyboards, particularly when it comes to um, predictive typing, because no matter how good these keyboards are, the, the, I, I don't know if the key placement is just off. I think it's just predictive typing and auto. Uh, maybe it's just autocorrect, but um, my typing is significantly worse on a third-party keyboard than it is on the Apple keyboard. Oh, for sure. The text expander keyboard. I mean, forget about it. I mean, I hope I it's it's like night and day difference. I can pound out full emails on the iOS keyboard. But then when I jump over to the text expander keyboard, the only reason I'm doing it is to type in three letters, you know, to get because typing on that, it's maddening. Yeah. And I think it just has to do with autocorrect and access to those types of things, because I've I've noticed that across the board on these third-party keyboards. Well, just one last point on that is the predictive type is really a great feature. I guess I would make that the last tip of the keyboards. If you're not paying attention to it, I know this goes back to iPhone 1, but sometimes you forget about it. And it's easy to you know catch yourself typing out Mississippi when you really only needed to type three of those letters and it would have got there for you. 
Right. I mean, and there's certain words that I misspell all the time. I, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to spell the word uh, separate correctly. <laughs> is it an E after that P or is it an A? I don't know. I forget. And I've like chopped that part of my brain off. So I've just, you, I rely on iOS for certain words <laughs> to always nail it for me. Like the word definitely. I think I pretty much got it nailed, but is, thank you, Apple. Is it definitely or defiantly? Yeah, I get that a lot right. too. <laughs> so, all right, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk more about 3D Touch. This 3D Touch is something that took me a little while to warm up to, but now I am finding uses for it absolutely everywhere. And I'm not sure whether it was me warming up, whether it was developers warming up, whether it's just available now in a lot more places than it ever was before. I don't know if we'll ever get 3D touch on the iPad because, you know, obviously the the technicalities of implementing something like that are a lot more difficult on a bigger screen than it is on a on an iPhone. But I really love 3D touch and and I'm just finding all kinds of gems with 3D touch. And I know we covered it a little bit on uh, episode 361, but I I just suggest that people start playing around with 3D touch and see what amazing, delightful surprises the developers have in store for you, because you'll probably be amazed. And even if something wasn't there a couple of months ago, probably could be there now as, as apps have gotten updated. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny. I, I put my photo, uh, what's the uh, camera app back on my home screen just because of 3D touch. I love the way you can just uh, 3D touch on it and get to whatever type of camera you want to take immediately. I find that the best way, even though it takes up a valuable spot on my home screen. And um, and there's a lot of apps that are continuing to add support. So just keep looking. If it wasn't there today, it may be there tomorrow. Right. Um, a couple of, of tips that we didn't cover last episode that you, you may not know about. Um, one is that if you 3D touch on the far left edge of the screen... Um, it will give you access to the app switcher. If you touch and hold, if you 3D touch and swipe, you'll get access to the app switcher. But if you 3D touch and then you 3D touch a little bit harder, it will immediately pop up. So if you want quick access to the app switcher, uh, just move on over to the uh, far left of your screen and press and hold and see what happens. Yeah, I think you may want to get really used to doing that because with all the I, you know iPhone 8 rumors about maybe there not being a home button, um, it may become more intuitive for you to do that type of a an app switch than it would be to be hunting around for the apps and home button that may or may not be there on i on on the iPhone eight. Yeah, I, I feel like they're going to do something because that's going to be such a shock to people if it's gone. They're going to do something to make it have a, a very similar experience on the, at the bottom. But I agree, um, the uh, the side I think is faster, and I've always felt a little awkward double tapping. Like sometimes you feel like you don't get it right, or a triple tap, which causes something entirely different to happen, which we'll talk about later. Uh, what Mike Hurley gave us a good one on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, I love that one. I was the the yeah the tap on the folder. Uh, I was out I was out on a walk listening to that episode. So thank you, Mike. And just on a folder, if you've got thirty five apps in a folder and you see the badge that says you've got sixty <laughs> tasks that you need to just force uh, or three D touching on that shows you which apps have. Uh, the badges. So I've got Dropbox with 14 notifications. I've got TripIt, one of my favorite travel apps that has six. I've got Streaks with five, Dr Google Drive with five, all in one folder. Yeah, we got tons of great feedback on that notification show, by the way. Thanks, everybody. Um, uh, another one is pressing firmly on the App Store icon for a shortcut to update all the apps with available updates. Great idea. 
Yeah, that one's fun. If, if you keep the app icon on your home screen, I actually don't anymore. I have it buried on the first level of folder. But if you keep the app update icon on your home screen, you can do that. Yeah, but it still works if it's in a folder. If you if you go in a folder and you 3D touch it, you get the oh, same yeah. options. Yeah, yeah, but it's multiple it's multiple taps. You still gotta you still gotta go in. But it's still less than opening the app and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an update all button. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to see what the updates are and and what what's new. But yeah, it's it's really easy. I'm very trusting. <laughs> I just update. <laughs> just all. update. I, well, in fact, most of mine update in the background now. So we'll see. Um, the Apple Calendar app, um, if you press and hold on it, uh, 3D touch on it, it will show you your schedule for the day. Um, and then third-party apps have started doing this too. For example, if you press and hold on Fantastical, it will show you kind of your upcoming event. Yeah, th- this whole rich notification system through 3D touch is, is something relatively new to iOS 10. And this is one of those things where I feel like they could bolt a lot more on it with, with future releases to the iOS. I'm glad to see it's there, though. I think we've also talked about on the on the phone icon, if you press and hold on the phone icon, it will pop up your um, your first four in your favorites. Or you can uh, view your most recent voicemail or create a new contact or search for a contact. Um, so those are fun. If you if you 3D touch on the weather app, it gives you a widget that shows you the current conditions and the forecast for today. That does, does anybody keep the weather app on their home screen? Is this just California talking or is, is that like a thing? I've got a weather folder. Um, I keep dark skies <laughs> sometimes on my home screen during storm season for us. Like sometimes during the summer, we get a lot of a lot of rain events, but not usually. The other thing you can do is uh, people probably know this, but if you 3D touch on settings, it will give you quick access to Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular data, so you can quickly switch networks or or access those settings. Which is what you can do. Well, that's true with the network, but, you know, it's like the swipe up from the bottom. I always curious, like, why they put the, chose to be redundant with those things. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, there's different ways to get there, I guess. But but that that is something they could definitely improve, giving us more customization there. The um, With the Maps app, if you 3D press, you get several options, including the one to share your location. Uh, I use that all the time when I'm meeting friends and, you know, we're in the same general area. I just send them my location. Do you guys ever do that? No, I I have a workflow that I use on my widget screen, which is my home ETA to my wife. You know, uh, I use that, but I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't ever share my location any other way. I should do that. But the other thing that maps will do if you 3D touch is it will show you your upcoming destination, which is particularly nice if, if you put, um, locations and calendar events. Yeah, like if you get in a car, you just 3D touch it, then you can tap on your next location and get your directions rolling. All without going inside the application. It, it really changes the decision about what goes on your home screen. That's true. I mean, there are... Because being able to quickly go to those items, whether it's notes, which I use all the time, and to be able to tap on it quickly and not have to... Because when you launch the notes app, then to hunt. Okay, now I'm. It's it's always going to default to the most recent note that you've had, and then you've got to go down and tap on the little uh, the little icon to start a new note. But it, what's going to do is it's going to put it inside the same folder as the last note that you created in that folder. Like I've got a travel folder of ideas and places that I want to visit. Well, if I tap on it when it when I have the notes app open, it'll add a new note to the travel folder. Um, but when you're on the home screen and you do it. It launches a brand new clean note that puts it in your general folder, which is a good little trip, a little a little trick. 
Otherwise, you, then that way you don't have to hunt and peck for a new note, a new blank note to start. Yeah, I do the same thing with the, well, just talking about the camera. There's a lot of ways to access the camera. You know, at the lock screen, if you swipe from the right, you get the camera. If on your home screen, if you swipe up the control center, there's a camera button there. But that's assuming your control center is on the right pane. And, um, but once I put it on the home screen, which was something I had done years ago and then and stopped doing, uh, it just made the 3D touch makes it a uh, much easier and quicker experience. And when you're around kids doing something funny, you want to get that camera rolling as fast as possible. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, 1Password. You know, there are a lot of scary things that are happening in the world right now. You've probably seen on the news about hackers and malware and security exploits, people losing their data and being locked out of their data. And some of that you can protect yourself from, some of it you can't. I still believe that the absolute best thing that you can do to protect yourself online is to use strong, unique passwords, to not reuse your passwords across multiple devices, and to have good backups. So if bad things do happen, if you end up getting compromised, that you can restore yourself from a backup. Now, we talk about backup solutions on the show all the time. We've got you covered there. But to make yourself safe with password practices so you know that you're not compromising yourself, it is time to head over and learn more about 1Password over at OnePassword.com. And even if you've got your password squared away, if you're using the best password practices, you are only as secure as your weakest link. So let me ask you, what's going on at the office? How is your team doing with their password practices? Do they have all of their ducks in a row? Because if your team is using insecure password practices, that puts your information at risk and worse yet, your business information and your client's information at risk. That is really scary because a data breach of your office information, that can shut you down. So there's never been a better time to take a look at 1Password and specifically 1Password for Teams. Pricing starts at just $3.99 per team member. It allows you to store unlimited passwords, credit cards, secure notes, and more, and securely share those items and documents with your team members. But of course, you can manage your team with a single admin console. It gives you total control over who has access to your team's most important information so you can share the simple security of 1Password with everyone. And you can try it for free to see if it's a good fit. And I bet it will be. So head on over to OnePassword.com. Check out 1Password for individuals, 1Password for families, 1Password for teams, and see how you can up the security game, not only for yourself, but for all the other important people in your life. One of the questions that we get frequently from people, or I guess there's a lot of frustration with Siri out there. And I beg and plead with Apple, please make Siri better at WWDC. You know, there are all of these rumors. Oh, there she goes tapping on me. Um, there are all of these rumors that there's going to be a Siri-specific speaker that's going to compete with the Amazon Echo. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps that's going to launch at WWDC. But I think if it does, because remember, it's a developer conference, the, the really the only way that makes happen makes sense to happen um, is if Apple is going to make significant changes or really open up Siri and open up Siri to developers, which, which I hope they do. But Siri's got to get better. I mean, one of the reasons I love my Amazon Echo is it's just delightful to interact with the Echo, whereas I find many of my interactions with Siri to be very frustrating. I think one of the reasons for that 
is I, I find that I have to be very careful. I have to phrase what I want to say to Siri very carefully, whereas uh, the Amazon Echo is a little more liberating. I, I can be a little more loose with my language, and it tends to do a little bit better job of picking up and parsing what do I want, what do I likely want, and, and giving me the result. And so we've had a lot of people write in and have questions on Facebook to say, look, I'm, I'm trying to do this specific thing. What, what are the exact words and what are the language that I need to use with Siri? So I, I want to try to give people some some Siri tips on iOS for for how you can make it work better. Well, one thing that you can make work better, and if you have a, a, a you know a wife whose name maybe sounds a little odd when if there's a missing vowel, like my wife, Natalie, spells her name without an E at the end. So it would say Natalie is called and it would frustrate the heck out of me, you know, uh, when this first rolled out and Siri lets you under the hood say, that's not how you pronounce my wife. That's not how you say her name. And then immediately she'll say, well, how do you say her name? And she'll give you you repeat it and she'll give you a couple of suggestions that sound close enough. And from there on out, she'll say it correctly. So it used to frustrate me, but you can do that with some harder to pronounce names. Yeah, it's interesting to model for Siri. I mean, last year, I think it was last year at WWC, I saw a presentation by some of the Apple executives at the Daring Fireball event where they were talking about their goal for Siri is for it to be able to parse anything and work with it, uh, which is interesting. When Katie was talking about how she feels like she can try it different ways with, with the Echo and it works better. Uh, Apple is supposed to be better at that than Echo. I mean, Echo usually has very specific syntax. If I want the Echo to tell me, you know, where my car is through the automatic tools, I have to be, the, the language I have to give it is very specific to get to it or, or it just won't work. Where they're, the goal at Apple is to make it more of a personal assistant type thing where you can say anything and it'll figure it out. But we're at very early days of this. And I feel like the only way this is going to get better is just to bang our heads against it for several years and get tons of data in there so they can figure out all the different ways people ask questions. That's also uh, Apple's explanation about why they have limited the number of third-party plug-in type mechanisms. Like, you know, one of the things they didn't do last year was audio controls, which I really hope we get this year. Um, but the, uh, but it, it's a completely different approach to it. Does that make sense, Katie? It does. I, I just, I think my experience has been kind of opposite of that, but no, I understand why they do it. I, and I get that this is hard. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's time to focus on it, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and they sell it as something that, you know, part of the problem I think is that it has so much personality, you know, it talks to you and tries to do jokes. Oh, and oh that's got to end. That's got to end. I am so tired of Siri giving me a cutesy response every time I tell her something, uh, you know, no, just tell me what I want and show me what I want to do. And, and don't, don't get cute with me. It, it's not funny. Yeah. Especially if the cutesy response repeats itself. If you get the same joke more than once, uh, then it just, it, it's jarring in that, oh yeah, this is a computer. This is not a person. So why is it, you know, yeah. And it, and it's one thing if you ask Siri to tell you a joke or if you if you use one of the um if if you use one of the the little hidden easter eggs um for like 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 this one like um uh let me let me let me think about one. So, um Alexa, tea, Earl Grey, hot. So for all of you, you're you're welcome out there. I just intentionally triggered your Alexas. But um, so it's one thing. But but when I just ask Siri for a, a simple something or another, the, um, you know, to get a cutesy response, I, no, I'm tired of that. That needs to stop. 
But I don't think Katie's problem of saying, just I want to go to WWDC this year and have Siri work, it's not going to be that way. This is an incremental process. No, I get that. I get that. Right. And, and, and you know, it, it also, to, the, to your point about the apps, I mean, I, I'm curious, and I agree with you. I also think there's a learning curve for us to be able to put our, to wrap our heads around how to use this stuff more effectively. Um, you know, it, to your point, uh, hey, I'm traveling next Thursday. Um, you know, and, and adding, maybe you've got a few apps built in on your phone that don't come pre-built with iOS. So will Siri be smart enough to access TripIt or some other travel app, um, be able then to access the weather, uh, be able to check your calendar and be able to do all of those things, um, at that system level that really can make it act as a real assistant. I mean, I would love to have Siri be a real assistant, um, be able to say, um, you know, contact my three o'clock appointment. I'm not going to be able to make it. Uh, I don't, unless I'm, unless I'm wrong, I don't think it can do that right now, but that's what a real assistant, that's what I rely on my assistant for, you know, every day I'm not going to, I'm stuck in traffic. I can't make that thing at three o'clock, make a change, make it happen for next week. You know, maybe put it on my calendar for next week. And also, by the way, call the person, make sure it's okay. Like that would be killer. Yeah, it's like there's different levels of this. I think there's the technology and like saying, uh, fix that letter and, you know, change the name to this or do whatever. And that's something entirely takes place on a computer. It's not there yet, but I think that's some, something we can aim for. But when you say, also lick the envelope, put it in the mailbox and call them to make sure they got it in a week. Um, that stuff isn't going to happen with this with this technology for a very long time. And um and I think that's part of it is we have to set our expectations appropriately. But even with the idea of here's an onboard computer assistant, what can it do for me? There's so much more to do. Uh, a place that you can start is the question mark um, icon at the Siri window. Just next time you're on your phone, uh, go ahead and activate Siri, uh, hard press it. And then once the, uh, the speech dialogue goes away, there's a little question mark in a circle on the left side, left bottom. Tap that and they've got a list of prompts for every type of app that can accept data from Siri. Like if somebody wants to know how to set an appointment, it gives you like 15 or 20 examples of different ways to change appointments, to set appointments, to make appointments, to send out invites for appointments. All that stuff is there. And uh, what Katie was referring to earlier is true. There's definitely a syntax to this, and you definitely have to learn to speak Siri, for lack of a better word. Well, some of the things, let's let's get into, you know, how can we make Siri better now? How can how can our interactions with Siri be better? Um, one of the things that you can do if you haven't yet is you can set up relationships. Um, and the way that you do that is first and foremost, Siri has to know who you are. So if you go into settings and you go into Siri, um, you can set up your contact card to make sure um, that Siri knows who you are. And once you have your contact card set, make sure that your contact card is filled out as completely as possible. And you can do that on your Mac, you can do that on iOS as long as they all sync up. But then there's also a relationship fields and contacts. And there are a lot of relationship options. So for example, I've got all of the members of my immediate family listed as relationships in my contact card. So for example, Siri knows that Matt Floyd is my brother. And um, you can either tell Siri that once you've linked your contact card and Siri will add that information to your contact card 
or you can manually add it to contacts. Um, so you can add your parents, you can add your spouse, you can add your siblings, you can add your assistant. Um, you, you can even get custom and creative and add custom contacts if you if you want to do that or custom relationships. But that way, if you say things, assuming you only have one brother, you can say, text my brother XYZ, uh, she'll do that. Or if you say, um, text Matt, and you have multiple mats in your address book, which I do, Siri's likely going, Siri will most often assume that Matt Floyd, your brother, is the Matt that you want to text. I've never had a problem when I just say, text Matt this, that she she never picks the wrong Matt for me because I've got Matt as my brother and I don't have another Matt in my relationships. And I'm not sure that's because you've established the relationship or it's looking at the frequency of times you text Matt. But you're right. It's it's smart enough to figure out one way or another that that's something Matt. If you just say Matt, like when I say, tell Katie, you know, let's record at two p.m. It's going to send a message to Katie Floyd because Katie is the person I text the most. That's a Katie, right? So I I don't have problems with that. But but it, it is, and that's when you start becoming familiar with it, and you start saying, wow, that was really great. It was smart. It knew how to do that. And then the next time you say text Jennifer or tell Jennifer, if I haven't done a lot of Jennifer's, there's, it's like a crapshoot about which Jennifer it's going to pick. Yeah. I, I, I love using that feature. Text my wife. I'm going to be home in 10 minutes or, you know, and that is really convenient. Text my dad. I'm going to do this. Um, and be able to have that integration is great. Also the app support inside the settings menu, um, you know, at, I think Apple with, um, with, uh, with iOS 10 added in that third party app integration we talked about, and it, it is good. I mean, they've actually added, I'm an airmail user. We talked about that. So there is Siri integration for airmail, Facebook, if you want to use Uber or a Lyft, you know, to be able to just to hail an Uber, hail a Lyft. Um, and, and hey, if, you know, if you hang out on Pinterest, right, you can, you know, search for fine men's fashion on Pinterest and do a search through boards that we're redoing. Um, we moved into this new house and we waited a year because the basement was unfinished. And so I kept putting all of these things into a basement Pinterest board for, uh, for our basement, how we wanted it to look and, and all the different things. And, and so just being able to do a search for basement ideas on Pinterest and, and be able to, when I'm standing there with the contractor, uh, pull that up using Siri is actually is great. But I don't think most people even know about it, especially with the third party stuff. Again, we have to retrain our brains with it. Yeah, there there is a lot there though. I mean, like like I said earlier, if you if you press that question mark, if you if you look at this app stuff, um, there is stuff for you to do. But it's not at a point where if you've never done it before, you can just start talking to it and expect it to work well for you. I guess that's really the takeaway on this: is Siri can work better than you think it can if you're willing to put a little bit of time in it. Well, especially in the music front. I mean. To me, the music, that's where real magic happens with Siri, and it's really hidden. If you, if for instance, I'm a huge 80s music fan, right? And if I just want to listen to play me the top 10 songs from 1983 um, on the charts, Siri will launch Apple Music and play the top 10 Billboard charting songs from 1983, which is great. Or I could even even more, more granular than that and say from December 1983. Um, you know, it'll play, uh, you know, whatever, beat it, uh, every breath you take, you know, it'll, it'll pull them all up and just start playing a little 10, 10 song playlist right there. So there's a lot of great stuff within Apple music that you can do too with Siri. 
Yeah, we just did that show uh, on audio management and we talked about that and we got a bunch of email from people saying, yeah, I subscribe to Apple Music solely because of Siri support. And Apple has delivered the goods on that one. Um, A couple of little tips for Siri. We talked about how many apps now are supporting Siri. Well, really, Siri has to support the apps, and then the app has to support Siri. Um, You have to specifically grant Siri permission to interact with other apps besides the Apple apps. And you can do that within uh, the settings, Siri, and app support. So that's something that you want to look at. Um, Another thing that Siri can do, particularly if you're connected to Bluetooth in your car or you're connected to Bluetooth speakers around your house, is you can set Siri to announce your phone calls. Um, And that's in settings, phone, announce phone calls. So that's a feature that I use and I have turned on, uh, particularly when I'm connected in my car with Bluetooth. There there is a setting while you're in your car. uh, A lot of people have Bluetooth and the Siri quality goes down when you have the microphone from the Bluetooth microphone in your car. I don't know about you guys. That's That's my experience. Um, you can actually tell Siri to use the built-in microphone in the phone over the one in the car if if that's a problem. And that's on the right side as you activate Siri. There's a little Bluetooth button. Just tap that and you select what your input will be. Now, have you found any way to make that setting stick? Because I found that I have to reset it every time. Yeah, when I'm taking a long trip, I will set that before I leave. But there, I don't have a way to make it stick. I don't think there is one. Wait, where is that setting? <laughs> because I, I have that problem. I have that problem all the time. You need to be connected to a Bluetooth device for it to work. So like if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at your phone right now in front of your computer and you don't have anything connected, then it's not going to work. If you put like an AirPod in your ear, then you'll see it when you activate Siri because it, um, it, needs, it only shows up, you know, it's an Apple thing. They're not going to give you stuff you don't need to see. If there's two devices, they'll let you pick from them. If there's only one device, they won't even put the option on the screen. Yeah, because I drive often with my AirPods in my ear. And I'd much rather have it activated through that than through my, in, my car speaker or through my car speakers. California can only put one in your ear. That's the rule here, which is fine. <laughs> Color and black. You know what they should make them is a skin tone and no one will see them then. No, I want to hear sirens and stuff. You want to have one ear available. I get it. The um, uh, While we're on Siri, though, a couple things. We, we talked about um, dictation a little bit earlier. Um, dictate and complete sentences. That's the easiest dictation tip you could ever get. Just, just think of the sentence and then say it, and then you'll be amazed at how much the recognition improves. Um, use punctuation. This is an old trick. Lawyers do it all the time. They're used to it. But if you haven't done it before, dictate with punctuation, put the periods and the uh, new carriage returns and all those things into it. And it'll work a lot better and get comfortable with the Siri timer. That's the other big tip. Last time I, I ran a timer on the Siri timer, it was 40 seconds. I think they may have increased it to a minute, but I haven't verified this. Uh, but basically, I think you've got enough for two or three sentences of dictation before it's going to stop. And the, it's very important that you stop before it does, because Siri dictation, once it runs out of time, it just cuts you off. It doesn't matter if you're mid-sentence. And then once you hit the button to continue, it's just assuming you're starting a new sentence. So you have all this strange grammar right in the middle of wherever you got cut off. So usually if I'm going fast, I'll stop after three. If not, I'll stop after two. And if you're really interested in that stuff, get yourself dragging anywhere because it is uh, much better for that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, what is the subscription on that? Is it uh, $10 it's a month? It's expensive. It's $15 yeah. a month. 15 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I pay it, though. It's It's worth it to me. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus, the most powerful task management app for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. There's so much to love about OmniFocus. It's a powerful task application that works with you not only to check off your boxes, but also make sure you're on track with your own priorities and goals. OmniFocus represents a lot of rethinking about what a task management application should be, and as a result, there are several unique features. One of my favorite unique features is its ability to review projects over time. OmniFocus allows you to set a review period for all of your projects. It's user-customizable on a per-project basis, and that is part of the reason why it's so powerful. By tapping the Review button a few times a week, you can take a look at all of your projects that are due for an independent review. For corporate clients, I don't do much work for that, so uh, the review time may be like six months. But for active projects, it could be every few days. It just depends, and that's what makes it work so well. Because I've taken the time to set up these review frequencies appropriately, when I tap the review button, I just see those projects that truly require my attention. Now, making a regular practice of these reviews is where it really pays dividends. And if you're using OmniFocus, I want you to set these up today for you because you're going to love it. Using the OmniFocus review feature, I found projects that fell off the wagon and it allowed me to get them back on track with the client and made me look really smart. I've also discovered additional work that needed to be done that nobody would have ever found otherwise. Best of all, the regular review routine gives me peace of mind. Knowing that I'm keeping track of projects lets me know that I'm doing my job and allows me to sleep easy at night. So whenever I feel frazzled, it's usually because I'm behind on my project reviews. If I take the time to do the reviews, I feel a lot better. This is just one reason why I love OmniFocus and use it every day. If you'd like to get on top of your tasks in your life, head over to OmniGroup.com today and check out OmniFocus. Thanks, Omni Group, for supporting the Mac Power users. Did, uh, you know, uh, while we're on the subject of Siri, did you know that you guys can uh, have better voices for Siri? Other than uh, the American female, I can do what, Australian and British? Yeah. If I want British, I'll listen to uh, a Relay FM podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, I just, I've, st- I've kept it, I've defaulted as female. Uh, I, I've never switched it. Have you guys switched it? I mine is just female too, but I do find that it's interesting that most of my male friends have female voice, and most of my female friends have male voice. I, I've kept her standard, but but no, and you can also have um, uh, better voices, particularly for reading back text. Like I think Alex is the enhanced voice that's been available on macOS for a long time. Uh, and and to make that happen, um, all you do is select text, and then in the selection box, you have the ability to have it uh, talk back to you or read it out loud, which is a nice way to proofread too. Hey, uh, let's talk about security a little bit. Yeah, security is something that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, but there's a lot that you can do, particularly on iOS, to, to update your security game. And then a couple of things you may not think about, like particularly security related, you know, we've been talking about Siri you know, is Siri, is Siri can give up a lot of information about you. You know, she can make calls. She can show you what's up on your your calendar. She can schedule appointments. Uh, she can do all kinds of things. And so the question is, would you want someone who's a total stranger who just picked up your phone to necessarily be able to interact with Siri? Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then that leads into a whole other slew of things. Like if someone just picked up your phone and it was locked, what do they have the ability to do? 
And so you can check that out if you go into settings, touch ID and password, you'll see a whole list of settings that you can toggle on and off as to whether or not your phone has to be unlocked to access them. Big one is Siri. Now, Siri comes with um, a lot of advantages because it's a lot easier to use Siri if your phone is unlocked, but it's also potentially a big security hole because someone with your locked iPhone who has access to Siri can can do a lot too. Like, I know my younger cousins would always come across somebody's iPhone and then have Siri set alarms for you know, first thing in the morning, I mean, I guess that's the most mischievous thing they do. It's not that bad, but set alarms for, you know, 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. And then, of course, you know, you get, you get woken up. But there, there are other more nefarious things that can be done with Siri to your phone. Yeah. So what, what's your position on this? You guys, do you guys uh, limit it or do you leave it open? I leave it open. I, I don't have I don't leave the house. I mean, I you know. <laughs> I mean, aren't you on TV? I thought you were the guy that was on TV. That's true. I just go there and I come home. Um, But, you know, what I do limit is what shows up on the screen. Um, So, you know, if I've got, and I'm sure in the law law world, I'm sure maybe that's something similar for you guys as well. But I, I limit what shows up on the screen with like previews and things like that, with messages and things. So I want that going to my watch. So that I can, you know, then I can open if it's something I want to take action on. Uh, with Siri, though, I leave everything on. Um, I've got, you know, uh, I've got iPhone on, you know, Touch ID, Apple Pay, iTunes, and App Store. But then as I scroll down, allow access when locked to day view, notifications, all of that, um, voice dialing, <laughs> everything, is, everything is turned on for me. What, what about you guys? Yeah, I leave it on because I, I am a big Siri user. I, I actually have spent the time with it and it does make me faster. So I'm I'm good with it. And I guess I'm willing to take the risk. Okay, I, I leave it on too, but I really don't want to admit that I do because I'm not really sure it's a good idea. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. We, we're not, everybody has to make their own decisions and there is risk involved with leaving it on. But there's also, you know, what's the point of having some of these features if you can't make them available? Yeah. But but there's a bunch of stuff I turn off. Like I turn off notifications for sure. Um, I go back and forth as to whether or not I want to leave the today view on. Um, I right now have the today view on, but I have it configured so that there's not a whole lot in my today view. Um, I have turned off the reply with message feature. I have turned off home control. Um, and I do have wallet activated. But, you know, the idea being that someone's going to need my thumb, obviously, to you know, make a purchase. So I, I do that. Okay. Uh, so we're getting through some of these, uh, these security ideas. Um, what about a uh, touch ID? Uh, there's a setting in there to turn it on for 10 failed password attempts. Well, what, what you can do is you can erase your data. If someone has failed to enter your password after 10 attempts, I turned it on. Um, yeah, me too. I did. Um, I also have it set to require a passcode or touch ID immediately after um after my phone locks because with touch id it's now so simple now just to unlock your phone so i i've gone back and forth with that before touch id i previously had it set to you know wait a minute or wait two minutes before requiring my passcode but now with touch id i, I don't think there's any reason not to have it set it immediately we've covered the security stuff enough in the in recent episodes i think we don't need to go into a lot of this in detail but but just one question for you clayton since we haven't had you uh on to talk about this what's your position on two-factor authentication I find it annoying. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I use it for Gmail and I, you know, constantly having to get text messages and then deal with that. Um, it's, it's a little bit faster now because I've got the Apple watch. I can just glance down, type that code in. Um, but, uh, I, I, I turned it on. When did Apple require it? Apple started requiring it with, uh, with something recently. What is it? You know, last it's, gonna, year? it's about to get worse. Yeah. Well, they, they don't require it, but they require it if you want to use specific features. So if you want to be able to unlock your Mac with your Apple Watch, you, you have to use it. Yeah. So I did that. I added that feature in, um, and, and I'm fine with that. But for the most part, I find it annoying. Um, I guess because I'm not constantly on a subway or something, you know, where I'm worried about my phone being lost um, or just someone glancing over my shoulder constantly at a coffee shop. I'm pretty careful about that stuff, but I, I turn it on where needed. It, I think if the stuff can, if the technology can get out of the way enough where I'm not annoyed by it every time, and it is adding that extra layer of security for me, then I'm all for it. Because with our phones, I mean, think of, you know, this is our life. I mean, our health data is in here. Um, everything is in here. Our bank account information is in here and all of it. So uh, I'm all for it. But if it gets to be too annoying, then uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to use it. Yeah, I am a big fan of it. I, I think this is something you even let be annoying because it, it's just such a stop for for hackers. I mean I mean, Clayton, you're a you're a guy who's in the public eye and you know, you wouldn't be the first journalist that apparently got it got hacked. So I, I just think it's a really good idea because it just adds that second layer and um I think we're kinda getting beyond the the show today with this stuff. But yeah, I, I would definitely follow up with that. Um and and it is a little harder to do now, and they, the Apple's going to make it even harder. They're going to start making requirements on the Mac OS. This is kind of a news item for Mac Pirates. We don't cover very much, but if you're using iCloud, app developers are going to have to have uh, third part uh, uh, separate passwords to get iCloud passwords. So everybody's going to have to go to AppleID.Apple.com. Yeah, I don't think this is that bad of a thing. So what what Apple has basically said is that if a third party app wants your iCloud password, which typically would be third-party calendar apps or um, email apps or things like that, then you're going to have to get an app-specific password for it, which if you've been using two-factor or two-step authentication, which we've always suggested you do, you've had to do anyway. So for me, there's absolutely no change. Um, what Apple's just saying is, you're, and I agree with them, honestly, your Apple ID password is so important now. It is the keys to so many kingdoms on your Mac and on your iOS and to your digital life. So, you know, when Apple IDs are compromised, it comes from two places. It becomes It comes from a third party being compromised or password reuse. And Apple doesn't want their passwords being stored on somebody else's system that they don't know anything about. So we're just not going to let you put it there. No, I, I agree. I think it's a good thing, but it is another step and people are going to just get used to it. Well, then you might as well go ahead and turn on two-step authentication because it's always been a step there. I do like the idea that, and this idea of sort of ambient authentication, that's what I'm, you know, and we've saw some of that obviously with the Apple watch, it's on your wrist, you've already unlocked it and it's, you know, bio authenticated and it's in the same room as other devices, which, you know, it's maybe a loosening of, of some of this authentications, a, a loosening of a, of some of these uh, having to type in passwords because it knows that you are nearby with your other device and it has, you know, biofeedback. So it knows that it's, you know, it's, it's you, you haven't taken it off. 
in the same way that Apple Watch works when you want to go for a run and you want to run to the convenience store, you don't have your wallet with you, you can still use Apple Pay unless you've taken the watch off and then put it back on. It wouldn't work. So I, I'm into that, and I, I hope we see more of that in iOS 11. It gets a lot easier if you can do that. But for now, we have this. Hey, let's get back to some more tips, though. And one of the areas of tips that I think is, uh, is, is ripe is accessibility issues. And we've had folks on the show to talk about accessibility for people that have true accessibility issues. But for the rest of us, uh, some of these things are quite useful as well. Um, there used to be uh, an app I used that would magnify. You know, when you get to a certain age, sometimes it gets harder to read things that are in small type. Uh, they have this great feature. If you go to settings, general accessibility, uh, the magnifier mode where you can, uh, and I set it to a triple tap on the home button on my, on my phone and, and you triple tap, it, uh, sets the camera on, takes a picture or actually gives you a live video feed of what the, the camera lens is going on. You can turn a light on, you can take a picture of it, you can zoom and, uh, quite useful if you're uh it was i guess farsighted where you have trouble reading is that correct yeah yeah well i love it and sometimes there's software that doesn't scale stuff properly uh, sometimes you know even in email clients uh, someone sends an email and i'm not sure how that operates and how that's functioning where a certain email is not functioning properly and where it's not scaling right and so it's hard to read the text and to be able to use that triple tap i use the triple tap magnification magnif magnification mode all the time where i just you, you take three fingers and not even using the home screen option just do a little quick tap to to the to the screen itself and it brings up the magnifier and I can see you can swipe that around using that little uh, little box at the bottom. It's great. I love it. I was going to tell the story about being in a dark restaurant recently and doing that and having uh, somebody at a different table wanting me to show them what I just did. <laughs> but then that really makes me sound like my grandpa, so I'm going to not I'm not going to share that story. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Uh, th there's some more though. Um, you've got the ability, they've got that dim mode that you can also access through that. If you're, uh, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a dark room and you want to bring it down to, to lower the screen brightness, um, they've got the ability to speak the screen, which is nice. Swipe down with two fingers and it will speak. And there's the ability to have it turn on speak selection, which we talked about earlier. You know, some of those features people don't think about, I I'm always, I, I love this stuff because I'm always looking for ways to consume content while doing other things. So maybe, you know, I want to read that long New York Times piece, but I want to take a walk as well. So to be able to have that feature where, you know, you think about it, you pull up a reading list, you have your reading list of 10 items that you maybe put in your reading list for that day, thing, articles that you want to read on the weekend, et cetera, whatever it is. Um, and you just launch that feature, the speak screen feature, and read you your your articles in reading list while you're taking a walk around the neighborhood or walking the dog. Um, it's it's great because there are there have been some different apps that have come up over the years, like Umano. Um, if you guys have heard that app, there's a couple other ones where they hire people to record voice record articles, news of the day. Um, at different points of the day. So it's constantly being updated with like 10 or 20 different articles that someone reads a New York Times article or someone reads the new Stephen Levy article from uh, from Wired. Um, but this is a much easier way to just do it. Boom, have your own list and to get walking. Yeah, and that also is a great thing to do if you're driving. If there's a long article that that's everybody's talking about and you want to 
you want to quote unquote read it and you've got a long drive ahead of you, you can have it speak it, which is nice. That's great. Yeah. Katie, what about raised awake? You were talking about that one. Yeah, this can be something that can be difficult to get used to, particularly if you have an older device. And I think I disabled this back when I was still using my iPhone 6. But if you um, go into settings, display and brightness, um, raise to wake, um, you know, when you pick up your phone right now, maybe you it, it as soon as you pick it up, it will automatically turn on. And maybe that's something you want. and Maybe that's something you not don't want. So you can you can go ahead and turn that off. Another one that I was struggling with when I had an older phone um, is the option to, if you just rest your finger on the home button, it will go ahead and open and unlock. Um, that was something that it took me a little while to get used to, but if you don't like it, you can turn it off. Some, some people argue that the, um, the benefits of the lock screen are lost because the thing is so fast now that you never see it. And, um, uh, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, you saw the notification center once you get it open. It's not a big deal for me. I guess if you, if you really want to see your lock screen, press the wake button on the right side of the phone and you'll see your lock screen because it won't unlock. I do. I mean, I think the raise to wake was really their answer to that. I mean, it got a huge, it got a huge applause line last year when that feature rolled out because how quickly touch ID works, you know, it'll be interesting to see with whatever authentication they're using and where touch ID is. I'm, I'm fascinated by that piece. You know, will it be in some sort of, will it just be the whole screen? So you pick it up, you know, your finger is red no matter where you touch it on the screen. That is the fingerprint sensor, Um, you know, and there's so much information that comes through that we need to see. And and for a while there, it was useless because it would just unlaunch and you try to find that information. You have to hunt and peck for all those notifications again. And finally, if there are any children in your life, uh, learn to use guided access, especially with your iPad. It's, it is, I cannot understate how useful this is. You use this with your kids, Clayton? No, I don't. I, I should do that. You're missing out. Okay. So guided access is in under the accessibility preferences. And, uh, what you can do is essentially turn off the, a lot of the features of the phone or the, especially with the iPad. Uh, so if kids are like, I have uh, my, when my nephew comes over and we're working with phonics, I've got some great phonics apps. He likes it, but we kind of have a rule that you got to do so much of that. I'm such a jerk sometimes, you know, but I make him do some phonics before we go and, and swing lightsabers at each other. And uh, I turn it on with guided access and he knows that I'm clever because if he uses his mom's iPad, he knows how to swipe with four fingers. He knows how to double tap. He knows how to do everything possible to get out of those apps that he doesn't want to play with and get back to, uh, I guess, YouTube or whatever he's doing. <laughs> um, so, um, so, but you turn on guided access, you can turn off all that stuff. You give the kid the iPad with the app that they're using in it, and they are stuck in that app. And then once they accept that, then they actually have a little fun because these educational apps are not garbage. Um, but, and then the, the trick for you is you have a triple tap to unlock it once you turn it on. And then you tap in a password and, and it depends. You can actually set how hard you want it to be to get out of guided access. But I think anybody listening that has kids or grandkids spend a few minutes, learn how to use guided access and it'll change the experience because then you can safely give the kid an iPad with the app you want uh, and let them play with that app as opposed to uh, getting to, um, to YouTube. I, I don't know what it is with these little kids, Boy, I do sound old today, but I don't know what it is with uh, some of the kids, but they get themselves into YouTube very quickly and find totally inappropriate content almost immediately. Right. Because it's suggested for you as an adult, 
So they're in your account and, you know, they're, they're watching a star Wars battle scene. And then as a suggested for you is, you know, I don't know, some, uh, walking dead battle that pops up beneath it, you know, because it's, it's set for you. A little tip is maybe to set up a separate YouTube Gmail account or something for your, your kids. So they have a, their own YouTube history and all of that. So doesn't YouTube have like a child safe app? I thought they use Ellie. I they know they do. Can... They do. Our kids use it. Cause my kids love to do, uh, my, my son particularly loves to do art for kids um, and the art for kids hub. So he's constantly drawing and then he'll play piano and he'll use like star Wars, uh, you know, star Wars piano music. And so he'll sit and like study that on the keyboard and stuff. But that, that YouTube kids app is very clean and easy to use and, and works great. Also for the guided, I forgot we did use guided access at one point for my son because he would constantly be doing those puzzle games and he would hit the home button and it would just lock, close the app. So guided access allows you to block the home button from even working and basically keep them in the app. So your, your the little fingers just gravitate to that little hole. <laughs> they just want to close the app every time. Another use for guided access is I have some, I've made some quote unquote apps in numbers. Like when I'm working on a settlement with a client or we're trying to negotiate a contract, I have these little apps I've built that allow us to kind of intelligently look at numbers and figure out what, what makes sense for what we're doing. And sometimes I'll hand my iPad over to client or even opposing counsel as we're working through it in a meeting and I'll turn guided access on for that because I just don't want everybody goofing around with my iPad. And I don't want to be like the nanny looking over everybody's shoulder at the same time. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. You know you're racing against the clock to wrap up multiple projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. This is life as a freelancer or someone who owns your own business. I know, I get it. But you know, our friends at FreshBooks are here to make it a little bit easier for you. And though they understand that the working world has changed and the growth of the internet, there has never been more opportunities for the self-employed. Their opportunities exist now that never could have existed before. In fact, I probably wouldn't be doing my my own business without the internet and all of the tools that are now available to me. And those are tools like FreshBooks. FreshBooks has been working tirelessly on their all new version of cloud accounting software. The new version has been redesigned from the ground up. It is custom built to work exactly the way that you do. You'll be able to be more productive and organized, but most importantly, you'll get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculous easily to use, it's packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, build all of your invoices in a WYSIWYG interface so you'll see exactly what your client will see. You'll be able to set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, make it easy for your clients to pay you, which is probably why FreshBook customers get paid up to four days faster. You'll also know when your client has seen your invoices, no more guessing games, and Fresh FreshBooks has an all-new notification system that you can think of as your personal assistant. So every time you log in, you'll get an update with what's changed with your business, what needs your attention, and all of these features are coupled with a beautiful redesign focusing on simplicity and clarity. So if you want to know how your business is doing, FreshBooks can tell you. FreshBooks is offering MPU listeners a 30-day unrestricted free trial. To access it, just go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know you came from the show. So head over freshbook.com slash MPU and thanks FreshBooks for the support of the show and all of Relay FM.
So a couple of quick tips we can we can talk about before I, I let David loose and he wants to talk about some iPad specific tips. Um, did you know that, and this comes particularly useful when you're reinstalling from like an, I, uh, an iCloud backup, that when you're downloading apps, that you can pause app downloads, particularly if it's a large app, this might come in handy, and prioritize app installs using 3D Touch. So for example, whenever I reinstall from an iTunes backup, or excuse me, an iCloud backup, um, I'll like um, I'll always like prioritize like one password so I can get access to my passwords and other things while everything else downloads. Um, the other thing is um, just it's if you haven't already, it's a good idea go into um, uh, general and in storage. There's a lot of good information there. If you're always wondering why are you running out of space, particularly if you have a smaller iPhone, that will tell you where you're using all your space and, you know, what apps maybe you can delete or maybe you've got a gazillion things in in iMessage and photos and videos you haven't deleted and and iMessage, the things that can go. Um, So that's a a good place to take a look and and see where all your space is being used because that's pretty much the only place where you can manage that type of stuff. Yeah, and a related one to that is battery. If you want to look and see what what's what stuff is is burning up your battery, uh, uh, it's very easy to find out. If you, if you feel like suddenly your phone isn't keeping a charge as long as it, it it should be, go into that setting. You may find that there's an app that's a battery hog. Yeah, and here's a tip: it's probably Facebook. I uh, when we were <laughs> <laughs> when when I don't have the Facebook app installed on my phone, I typically always access Facebook through the, uh, I have a web app on my phone for Facebook. I just bookmarked the mobile Facebook interface and have used that as a web app on my phone. And when there were a couple of things that it can't do, and particularly when we were traveling, I wanted to bulk upload a lot of photos from my iPhone to Facebook. So I downloaded the Facebook app for my phone and I even kept it on the second homepage, which I don't have a second homepage so that I would remember to delete it when, when we got back from the trip. And I just forgot and I noticed that my battery life on my phone was horrible. Like I was getting, like it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and my battery life was down to 60%. I'm like, what is going on here? And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot to delete Facebook. It's been fine ever since. Yeah, those guys just don't care that much, honestly. <laughs> I, I just, it was a couple of years ago they found, I think a Federico, our friend Federico is the one who discovered that they were playing an audio a silent audio file just in the background all kinds of shenanigans to make sure that yeah because the apps close after a while yeah and you, and you get notifications and all kinds of stuff yeah no so it was just silently playing a zero volume audio in the background so the app would stay open and you know apple it's just like just like the whole thing lately with uber where uber did some violate some rules and and they got to go meet tim cook and tim cook said you know you've been naughty don't do that anymore like if if, you know, if Clayton had an app that violated those rules, you'd just be kicked out of the store. But, you know, you get you get big enough, you get away with it. And I feel like Facebook's whole thing is we want to be the operating system. I feel like Facebook wants to be the iPhone's operating system. They want people to just live in there and they want to add, you know, they add messaging, they're adding video, they're adding all this stuff. And part of being the operating system is being always turned on. So uh, anybody who's having battery issues and they have the Facebook app installed, try taking it off for a week and just see if that changes things for you, because I bet it will. One of the things that we are longing to see at WWDC is more improvements specifically for the iPad now that we've got the iPad Pro. And we'll see in a couple of weeks whether Apple makes those improvements. But for now, we do have a few things that we can do specifically on the iPad. 
Yeah, the the one the first thing I wanted to talk about is is multi screen. I mean, that's one of the big advantages of the iPad now that it was added in iOS nine, where you can pull two apps up at the same time. Really useful, and it's it's taken a couple of years, but now just about every app that you're going to want to be productive with supports it. So you can have you know Google Docs open and Safari open, or you can have Microsoft Word and Apple Numbers, or you know it's it's great. You've got a way to view two different windows at a time. I think the implementation that Apple did is very good. I like the way that you can slide the the screen across, so you can pick you know how much real estate you're going to give to each app. The thing that they didn't get right, and it's it's kind of remarkable they never fixed it, is is choosing between the right app. You guys with me on that? Okay. Oh, yeah, like picking which one you want to use and when. Yeah, um, so the way it is, you you slide over from the right and you get the, the app picker. There's no search bar, and it's just a scrolling list of all the apps that you've opened. Oh, it's miserable. Yeah, and, and the, you know, it's one of those things where you start scrolling and you get impatient, you scroll faster, and then it swings by, and then you realize exactly how many apps. Like, I use this all the time with Dragon Anywhere. It's got this yellow, yellowish icon. I never realized how many apps have yellowish icons until I start scrolling through that list. And every time I'm, I'm amazed at how many apps I think are dragging anywhere before I find it. And, um, and so that's, that's the problem. Uh, they, they need to solve it. They need to make it easier to pick that second app. And frankly, they should allow you to scroll on both sides. I think there's a whole lot of stuff they could do to make that a, a better interface for now. Here's my, here's my big trick. Um, I pick whatever app I'm working in the most, you know, whenever you're doing this stuff, there's usually an app, that you're working on. Like if I'm writing a contract in Microsoft Word and then I'm referencing maybe some text I did in Dragon and some stuff I got in Safari and something that's in Dropbox. So I've got these various apps I'm mixing in between. And for some reason, the natural inclination is to put Microsoft Word on the left side and then use the app picker on the right side to swipe between the apps. I think that's really Apple's intention. So... What I've done, because quite often I'm doing this with a keyboard attached, the Apple smart keyboard, is I will put Microsoft Word on the right. So that use the crazy app picker once to get Microsoft Word on the screen. And then I can switch between the other apps very quickly using command space on the keyboard because command space works on the iPad. So if I say command space and I type drop, then Dropbox is the first option, arrow down, hit enter, Dropbox is open on the left side of the screen. Uh, if I hit command space SAF, then Safari shows up. I hit arrow down, enter, and then Safari's there. So I'm kind of flipping it where I'm making the app picker be spotlight on the left side of the screen, the quote unquote permanent side of the screen, and using the right side as the permanent side. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, just even having a search bar is enough. You know, I hope that it works better, though, than Spotlight. I, I've had a lot of problems with Spotlight lately, searching for apps um, that I know are there. Um, and it kind of goes through these phases where it'll be lickety-split and other times where uh, no matter how many... T- it, I just get a blank screen when I type in the name of an app. Does that happen to you guys? No, I actually have really good experience with Spotlight. So what does it do? Well, I mean, particularly on the iPhone, but uh, it happens on the you know on the iPad as well. Just doing a spotlight search for an app that I want to launch that I haven't used in a while, and so I don't even know what folder it's in, uh, and it frustrates me a lot because I'm having then to to search through folders because it won't pull up Kindle. You know, I want to read a Kindle book or whatever because I've got a few minutes, and it uh, well, sure enough, Spotlight won't find it, and I just get a blank 
dark screen. Even if I tape, type out the full name of the app, uh, I know, you know, it still won't find it. Um, so I have to hunt and peck for it. So it, I'm hoping that, uh, I, I'm hoping that the app switcher, if it's just, even if it's just a, an improvement where I'm able to search through those apps, it better work. Yeah, I would ideally like to see some kind of mechanism, and I don't, I don't know what it would be, that's why I don't get paid the big bucks, is to have a mechanism to easily select between both sides of the screen. And I don't know what it is, how you do that, but be able to pick an app on either side of the screen. I'd also like to be able to move data between them without copy and paste. Um, but but that that is a problem as it exists currently that that is two years old and needs to be fixed. Clayton, what I find when I have that spotlight issue that you have, usually just rebooting the iPad resolves it. It seems to just be a caching issue of some kind. Yeah, I I find that to be the case too, and it happens, but it happens way more regularly. I mean, if I had to name one error, one problem that I see at the OS level that's that's persistent, it's that more than anything else. It's my lack of being able to search for an app in Spotlight, and it requires a reboot. How come I'm not seeing that? What am I doing? I don't know. I was going to say for a second, it's probably because you don't have a lot of apps, but then that would be a very stupid thing for me. <laughs> I don't have that many apps. I'm, I'm actually pretty careful about them. So I, I don't keep hundreds and hundreds. So I think I've got about, maybe. well, I'm sorry, I've probably got about 200 apps. So maybe there's a threshold like in Apple Notes, you know, when you hit a certain, you hit that 2000 note limit, you know, maybe there's a, with all the apps I have, I don't, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it is a, um, it, 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 I mean, the fact that we're talking about it, obviously it's an issue. The, um, Clayton, you said you run your business on your iPad. I do. I run a, you know, real estate investing company and everything I do is on my iPad. And, you know, with the workflows that I've built now and that I have built into airmail, I have to say the one, the one way that I respond to emails more than anything else now, uh, just launching airmail on my iPad, um, I'm inside a, uh, you know, reading, reading an email and then being able to tap on the, the more options, being able to, I've created a workflow called audio mail where I'll just tap audio mail. And instead of responding by typing, I, I attach, uh, attach an MP, uh, an MP3 to the file, to the, to the email and I record, it goes through a little series and subject line. Here's an audio response for you. And clients love it because it's personalized and, I put a lot of thought in, you know, I'm a broadcaster by nature. So how I can, I incorporate more broadcasting into, to my workflows, but I use, I, I use my iPad for everything. Yeah. And that, I guess that's one of the issues I think, or the, I don't know if we call this a hidden feature, but there is increasing amounts of automation available on iPad. And that's something you need to look into if you want to get serious about this stuff. But I, I totally agree with you. I mean, one area that I run into a wall is on selecting multiple items. I use Dropbox constantly on my iPad for PDFs and pulling out different data within within Dropbox. And if I have to send a client multiple PDFs to have to relaunch, go through the whole you know file structure again to find that PDF, find that second file that I wanted to send them, that is incredibly frustrating. So that's where productivity slows down. Uh, when when you have those types of issues, especially within the app picker uh, and within uh, multiple items uh, within the you know within the OS, that's and be able to drag data. I mean, I would love to have multiple windows open, two windows open, have Dropbox open on the one side, be able just to grab those files right there and pull them right over to the mail message. Oh, what a dream that would be! 
Well, you know, WWDC is right around the corner, um, you know, and, and we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Apple will, um, you know, grant some of some of your wishes and, and adjust some of these things. But for now, I, I think we shared a few tips that will at least help people with with some of their annoyances with, with iOS and then perhaps get the most out of their iOS devices. I sure hope so. We we put a lot in this this outline, so something there should sink home, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully you got one or two things. Yeah, the trick with all this stuff is tr- don't try and incorporate everything we've talked about in one day. You know, pick the pick two or three and get good at those and then bring them in. And, I, and going back to the Siri discussion, I would just add, if you feel like you're not getting enough out of Siri, pick one app that you could use Siri in more often. I think a good candidate would be music, if you like music, or the Messages app, if you send a lot of text messages. Uh, read about read up on it right in the app there you hold down the button hit the question mark and read up on the the various syntax available to you if you can incorporate that into your life i think you'll find that the stuff is more useful and one thing i'll just say about the today view uh, i hadn't i gave that short shrift when they launched that do you guys use the today view a lot Mm -hmm. yeah i do i do i like it and I've really, over the past year, started to embrace the today view. And so if my one little tip would be, if you just spend some time customizing that to really suit your needs, so it almost becomes like a personal dashboard. And so for me on the iPad, you know, I have my, I, I've customized mine. So I've got my workflows on the left side with a number of them that I, I want to, you know, launch a certain music playlist, my top 25 music playlist to get some work done. Next to that, I've got a Pomodoro timer that I can just hit start work and it counts down for 25 minutes for me to get some work done. I've got my calendar right there, a weather, and it becomes like a nice little dashboard to be able to more customize your iPad in a way that you can't just from the home screen. Yeah, and I feel like this is, we talked about this on the notification show recently. This is one of those things where you get, the, the amount of time you get out of it for the time you put into it is exponential. Um, you can you can really make that a useful feature. I feel like the, the Today View is really uh, Apple's response to the idea of all the widgets on the screen. If you look at an Android device, it's got all these widgets on the screen. And Apple has always had this very clean user interface, you know, icon set that everybody understands. But people do want widgets, and the Today View is their answer to that. Um, so, so make it your own. And and if you've got an iPad and an iPhone, don't use the same widgets because it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you may need different things on the iPad than you do on the phone. I want to take a bet. Place your horse bets here. Okay. When you know when they, I know that Android got to that widget game first, right? And so. I think it's such an obvious. Oh, you're just copying Android by doing this to create the widgets sent, you know, as your home screen. I think this was their their Trojan horse, the Today View, and I wouldn't be surprised if in a future version of iOS, even of iOS 11, the new home view is the Today View. You know, we we found, you know, I can picture them on stage how they're going to craft it. We had such a great response to the Today View that we decided to move the Today View to the home where it belongs, you know, and that's going to be the way that you now interact with your phone. When you launch it, you're going to see these giant widgets instead of being relegated to the, to that left swipe. I I don't think that's going to happen. And I'll, I'll tell you the reason why is because a lot of users on the iPhone that don't listen to Mac power users and don't care about that stuff. And the, uh, the simplicity of you push one button and there's your apps. And then while you're in the apps, if you press one button, then you're back to the list of apps again is golden for a lot of users that are not going to be looking in settings and figuring that they don't even know that today view exists. 
And if they turn on their phone and, the, and their apps are gone, they're going to lose their minds. Maybe even a setting that they'll allow you for your home view to be the today view in the same way that they have the, the TV app on the, the Apple TV. You can either switch, you know, just go to the settings. You either hit that button and it takes you to the TV app or back to home. You, you want to make a bet on this? Maybe we just have a drink in San Jose. <laughs> All right. I'm down with that. All right. Let's do it. Well, Clayton, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Tell people where they can find you. Well, um, easiest way, uh, my if they want to, I do a th- th- uh, three times a week podcast. So if you're interested in, in real estate investing and you want to hear all about that stuff and you listen to podcasts like you do, um, switch it, you know, check out my podcast, the Investing in Real Estate podcast, where we deep dive wealth building. And I'm always available on Twitter. Anyone wants to reach out to me there, just Clayton Morris on Twitter. Well, if you've got other iOS tips, tricks, hidden features, and those types of things that we didn't cover, we do have an MPU feedback show coming up soon. Uh, So you can drop us a note in our uh, Facebook group. You can uh, find a link to that on our website at relay.fm slash MPU. Or you can drop us a note on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Barkey. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Market Circle, One Password, Omni Group, FreshBooks, and of course, all of you who are Relay FM members, and we will see you all next time.